As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to Why Always Us, a Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. I'm David Booney. Sam Lee is with me. Hi, Sam. Yeah, hello. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. And I feel good that there'll be a podcast that people can listen to and won't think, what a miserable sod, or <laughs> what a pair of miserable sods. Cause, I, yeah, I, I don't good. think they ever think that of you, really. Do you think? I well, think, any, anyway, let's... I, I, think I, I have the personality of someone who, who is, oh God, he's a Dower City fan. I get that. I understand <laughs> if people think that. But you, I think, I always think you're quite, quite sunny side sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But not, not in recent weeks. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed the game. So yeah, let's go on with the quiz. Right. Well, uh, right now we're offering you the opportunity to subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month. You can enjoy all of our great articles on City and so much more. Sam, what's on the horizon for you right now with City? There's... There's like a, a a big thing on the CFG that we're going to start working on, but that won't be for a while. You know, that's that's like a huge elephant. You, you need to eat that in little bits. Um, I'm not actually sure what's coming next week. There's the Porto game. Champions League um, with City is always like a kind of challenge to cover when it comes to the group stages. Um, so I can't tell you what's going to be on there, but I can tell you that whatever we do will be good. And also... Um, there's so much stuff that's actually been written over the last year, not just by me, but by everyone else, that if you felt like signing up and you haven't already, I genuinely promise you that there's probably more than you'll ever be able to read anyway. So The sort of timeless stuff, the stuff that doesn't yeah, go lo- out of yeah, 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 loads of timeless stuff. I did a big thing on Phil Foden in, um, in August, basically his kind of life story, I guess, it turned into. A big thing on Sergio Aguero when he became the top overseas goalscorer back in January. A big interview with Stephen Ireland last... September now I guess um, lo- loads of different things loads of different things um, stuff on, on Guardiola and yeah um, stuff on City's tactics and why they do certain things and why they don't do certain things um, and yeah I mean look if, if you sign up now and you don't know where to start send me a DM on Twitter or, or something like that and I'll, I'll send you some links indeed and for just a pound a month as well <laughs> still yeah I, yeah I'm not, I, I can't like fake surprise anymore that they're still <laughs> doing it obviously they are still doing it but um, fair play to them and yeah I'm yeah, if anybody thinks, oh, I'm not sure, 
like it's it's not going to get any cheaper than that so just do it and i i'd like to i'd like to be able to promise that you won't regret it give it a go because uh, this offer is only running for a limited time only so go to the athletic.com forward slash man city pod right now to sign up that's the athletic.com forward slash man city pod and it's just one pound a month so um i i think the first question i've got sam for you about uh the arsenal game on saturday what what part of it was more important getting the three points keeping a clean sheet or controlling the closing stages of the game when they were in front uh i suppose big picture was the control in the game um uh, because keeping a clean sheet you know you know the way Guardiola likes to do it is always by limiting them to, f- to few chances so arguably Arsenal could have scored and City could have still won and that wouldn't have been the end of the world three points is obviously important uh, because what they see th- three points behind Liverpool now and they've got a game in hand so that turned out to be not so bad um, but I think big picture uh, is yeah just being able to control the game not having one of those performances where City can see the stupid goal at any point really but particularly at the end I saw a lot of tweets from fans going oh I know what's going to happen here but it never really materialised in the end um, and it, I mean it's hard to it's hard to read too much into that game because I don't think too many teams are going to play like that against City over the course of the season and I don't think City are going to play in that kind of particular shape but in terms of the fact that well we'll get into the into the, all the little bits but yeah the fact that they, they did manage to see the game out and then the energy the fact that there was no Laporte, no De Bruyne, but you wouldn't have strictly noticed. And the thing we've always said over the last few weeks, while we've said, look, they obviously need a midfielder or a left-back or a striker or whatever, we have always said it would be good for this group of really talented players with Guardiola in charge to come up with something that doesn't just rely on you know, new signings or you know, De Bruyne to create five chances a game and the, score, the forward score two. Um, and that's exactly what we got on, on Saturday. It was a... Yeah, it was it was it was exactly the kind of performance you'd you'd expect to see from City. I think where you know if De Bruyne is not playing, well, fine. Then Bernardo Silva will will do really well. Or um, you know if Laporte's not playing, then there's somebody else to do the job, and it's not all going to fall apart. So yeah, it was yeah that little element of control in the game tied in with all those little things that were just kind of refreshing to see. I think I will say watching the game certainly in like midway through the second half, I wasn't feeling particularly comfortable. Um, but then equally, I, you know, I, when I take a step back from it and I look at what Arteta's done to Arsenal, Arsenal aren't the side that 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 City usually roll over at this stage. Do, do you know what I mean? At that when, when yeah. it's when they're when they're in front at that point, you know, the old Arsenal would fall apart. And so I I, I kind of maybe my my unease at the way the game was going was a little bit premature about just about how good Arsenal actually were in comparison to to what I expected them to be if that makes sense yeah it kind of, yeah, I think I think I know what you mean they're obviously a different beast under Arteta I think some of the press were getting stuck into him a bit over the fact that I think he's played six games against top six teams and he's lost five of them but um they well I I would like to say in my opinion they're clearly going in the right direction. Um, as much as you know, we're going to praise City's performance. A draw wouldn't have been out of the question. To be fair, um, it it was that it was that kind of game where you could yeah, City did deserve what they got. But if it had been a draw, it wouldn't have you know it wouldn't have been a un, unreasonable. Uh, yeah, and I suppose the threat with Arsenal is they kept you know trying to play out from the back and rob the ball in a certain way. And just I think probably where the unease came from was as kind of better. A city were and good a city were they did keep giving the ball away in the arsenal half quite a bit and quite often 
when that happens, the other team just turn around and sprint down the other end and they end up scoring. Um, so the fact that City kept doing that and with Arsenal's kind of pace and how they can get the ball forward quickly under Arteta, that was probably where the worry was coming from. But they either counter-pressed really well to stop those counter-attacks or just defended properly. You know, like Diaz, obviously, whom I'm sure we'll come on to, yeah. was, was really good. But Walker was really... They were all really good. Um, so, yeah... There, there were definitely those signs of oh no, but I mean, if City can stop teams counterattacking on them and scoring easily, then talking about big picture, you know, that would be very useful for the rest of the season. Well, let's. I mean, we'll come on to the defense shortly. Um, first off, I want to kind of get into how City went about winning the game because uh, I mean, the first ten minutes were dominated by people going, "What on earth is this shape and formation?" Yeah, yeah. Until I think we all kind of settled on, "Well, we just not. We're never going to be able to describe this, so let's just let's just go with it and see what happens." Um, well, I mean. What was it like watching? Because obviously watching on the TV screen as I was, you, you can't get the kind of big picture of how the movement happens and where players are going. What what were they doing in in that setup to to basically control the game? Christ, um, just because I was in the stadium doesn't doesn't make enough to understand it. Um, well, what they were what they were doing was there was a times when and look, you could put on different numbers. Um, depending on what was happening in the game, whether the city were pressing or whether they had the ball or whether um, they were defending, you know, it was a different shape. Um, you know, at times they were three-three-four, which was basically obviously copying Arsenal's broad four-three-three. But it wasn't about numbers really. It was, and it wasn't even about positions. It was about roles and and filling spaces and and opening spaces. So Cancelo was at times a right back. But Walker was at times a right back, but he was also a centre back. Um, it was very and, clever that to control Aubameyang, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, I'll, I'll put this in my article, which well, people will have hopefully read by now, but it hasn't been published at time of of speaking. Um, I think they were probably most impressed with Cancelo's performance at City because, um, well, f- from what I understand of last season, obviously Guardiola hinted that his attitude wasn't great, but he wasn't in the team, first of all, because of the adaptation. And part of the adaptation was um, that, you know, I think we know Cancelo is just a very kind of traditional fullback, get down the line and put a, put a cross in. But at City, that's just not what you do, and especially at right back. You know, Walker's barely done that um, in his in his time at the club. So Cancelo had to get used to all these little tactical demands and having to do different things every game. And, you know, it was kind of struggling a bit. Um, so the fact that he had to... Not just play right back, but kind of play right back sometimes, but also in midfield. Not just like a bit of going in midfield, but be there quite a bit sometimes and still get forward to support the attack on the right and and know when when to do each different thing at the right moment. Um, and I think they were impressed by the fact that he knew, um, you know, when he had to press Saka and when he had to cover Aubameyang. Um And it's it's one of those things where it it reminds me of. When City played Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, when De Bruyne scored that goal in September 2017. Um, But it was the first game, I think, where they played with an inverted fullback. And after about 15 minutes, I remember going, what the hell? Where's Dalf supposed to be there? And there was a massive space um, at at City's left back. Well, Dalf just got the wrong kind of, oh, I'm supposed to be here kind of thing. But after that, obviously, for the rest of the game, and pretty much while he was at left-back at City. He knew exactly where he needed to be, but you basically had to time that 
times that by 11 on Saturday because everyone was was kind of <laughs> fulfilling, fulfilling different roles. And if somebody had have got it wrong, it would have been really obvious. And look, there was a couple of times when Cancelo probably could have been a bit cleverer on the ball or, you know, just before half time, Arsenal got in down his side a couple of times. Um, but in terms of, yeah, knowing where to be and uh, and when when to be there, uh, I thought he, he was really good. And yeah, how do they do it? I mean, it just depended on the different phases of play and on who had the ball and what Arsenal were doing and what City wanted to do. And I mean, a, a good example again, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you what triggered this, but um, the good example is in the build-up to the goal, Bernardo Silva was the left centre-back to get the ball off Edison. Um, obviously, he was dropping back inside along, alongside Rodri um, to make a bit of a double pivot to help City play out from the back. There's nothing revolutionary in that. City do that quite a lot. Um, but yeah, sometimes, you know, he, he went to left centre back and you know sometimes Ake was there sometimes Ake was left back and um the the basic goal you know when when they had the four across the front line was to stop Arsenal playing out from the back um to cover off all those options and basically force them to go long and then you know City would try and win the second balls and obviously with Walker uh I, I was gonna say Ake at the Walker's back, pace especially was, yeah, was good at that the pace yeah exactly but also just in terms of winning headers and that kind of thing you know they were very well set up for that um, so that's what they tried. And also, if you think about probably the other big chance the City had apart from the goal was um, when Foden, when Aguero played in Foden and he kind of just got it under his feet a bit and Leno saved. That was from City covering off those options. I think they tried to play into to Saka and Cancelo was straight on him. And it, they worked it into Aguero and he found Foden. If they had scored there, it would have like illustrated perfectly What's, well, what both teams were trying to do all game, but yeah, obviously City as well, um, trying to stop Arsenal playing out from the back, try and coax them into a pass into midfield and then pounce and go and score. Um, because Arsenal was so good at it, they didn't give City too many chances to do that and City didn't give Arsenal too many chances to do it either. That's why in the stadium, it felt like a kind of really cagey, interesting game. But when I watched it back on Match of the Day, I was like, actually not a lot happened here, did it? Um, but yeah, it was it was a really interesting one and that's how they did it. I was going to say, in terms of, of uh, just the way that the patterns are play in the game. I mean, is, it, is there any concern that City still couldn't quite finish it off, that, that, that the game was still alive going into those closing stages? Yeah, uh, in the sense in the sense that, um, yeah, the, the sharpness, you know, we talked about the Leeds game and, you know, Foden and Mares didn't play particularly well. Um, they they were better against Arsenal, but still not quite sharp enough. Um, but, you know, I think the I asked Guardiola after the game what he was happy about um, the most, and he said the fact that um, they they're still not ready to play ninety minutes at full throttle because they're not fit enough because they've not had the preparation, and even when they have had the preparation, you know, so many of the players have been injured or ill, so they're just not at that level. But he was so pleased that they were still able to do that. So you could tie that to the fact that maybe it's a case of sharpness for Foden and Mares um, and and Sterling as well. And obviously it is with Aguero, with him coming back from his injury. So it's like, as we've said before, when we were kind of clinging for reasons to be positive, I suppose, it was, well, once they are fit, once they are sharp, that will improve. Um, so I think there's there was an element of that. But my only worry is, which was the same worry as when we were saying this in recent weeks, City were kind of fit enough and sharp enough and everybody was available apart from Aguero in July and August. But they still had those problems anyway. And they had the problems, you know, before before lockdown last season anyway. So it's kind of like, 
that the sharpness may be a thing, but at the end of the day, we all know Sterling is going to hesitate when he gets in the box and he's got time to think about what to do. You know, if he tries to go down the outside and it comes back inside, is he going to shoot or is he going to pass it? And that happened a few times. So some of it might be sharpness, but, you know, some of it might just be that that thing we've seen with City over the last year or so where they kind of, um, yeah, just... I don't know, get caught in two minds in front of the yeah. goal. So, yeah, and I mean, still, it's still in, it's still in waxed that one in at, at the near post um, in the second half. I've just after he, was it Bellerin, he sat down. Um, yeah, before yeah. I know it's, it, it, it kills the game, and then we're not we're not having this discussion. It's just that that moment in front of goal, isn't it? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I want to talk about Edison because yeah. uh, obviously critical of him uh, making the mistake at Leeds, despite the great saves that he made there. Um, there were some uh, there were some cracking saves against Arsenal as well. The the, the standout was, um, was was in the first half with his with his uh, the top of his arm. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, and the, the the weird one because when he said the standout, it threw me a bit just because they flagged Aubameyang offside, didn't they? Eventually, once which was the second of the one on one saves. Yeah. Um, but. If that had have gone in, the goal would have stood because they would have checked it on VAR and he looked onside. So that was a really important one as well. But it it seems to have got slightly lesser billing. Um, but no, he, he was good and yeah. It, but it was the same kind of situation as Leeds, where I was like, well, he's done really well here. These are really good saves, but I'm not going to kind of tweet, tweet any praise about him until you know the final whistle because as we saw with Leeds and especially with goalkeepers, one little mistake and. And you're done. Um, but no, he was he was great. Um, his kicking, you know, his kicking. It wasn't like one of those performances where it made the difference. But um, that's the thing with with City and compared to Arsenal as well is when Arsenal kind of pinned City in and made sure they couldn't um, go short. Edison's just so good at dropping balls into midfield or even going long. Um, and I mean, there was the there was way... a couple of times where he was under pressure and he kind of almost faked the pass, and the, whoever was chasing him down slowed down, and it was enough just to get whoever he was going to pass it to uh, uh, to be able to get a yard of space. It's just like that yeah, the, yeah. that ability. That I mean, you watched it at the other end. Leno wasn't doing that, and that 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 again, marginal gains was a very small difference between the teams. Yeah, and it, yeah, that that's a really good example because it, it goes to show as well that it's not just kind of the accuracy or the technique on his kicks, but it's just, yeah, it's those little, you know, t- tiny things that make make the difference, actually. It's not just all about the actual execution of the kick itself, but how he makes that, that space for himself. It actually reminded me a bit of, you know, when Cancelo did that low cross in the second half, when David Luiz nearly put it in for an own goal. Yeah. The, the the beauty of that trick that Cancelo did was he actually shaped to do a cross with the outside of his right foot, and the guy marking him obviously thought, oh, I've seen this before. And he fully committed to it. But then he quickly shifted it back with his left foot onto his right and he put it back in. And just, I've never seen that kind of dummy before where you think, oh, well, this guy's only got a right foot, so he's going to do it with the outside of his right. And then he dummied it and still uses right anyway, but it managed to make it work. I've, that was really clever. Um, it, yeah, and it's, it's a bit like that with Edison. It's just that little that little dummy, that that little kind of trick that just gives you that extra like second is all you need to 
to get the ball exactly where you want it to go. And that, yeah, again, that goes to show why, again, I keep going back to what Sean Dyche said about Edison a couple of years ago, but it's like having Ronald Koeman in goal. You know, he's he's not just a, a goalkeeper who's a good kicker. He, he understands these things as well as an outfield player does. Yeah. I'm um, going to touch on uh, on Diaz as well because, uh, I mean, he was great for a second game running. He uh, obviously gets his first clean sheet as a, as a City player now. Uh, they He seemed to find uh, the ability to, to just get his head on everything that was coming into mm. that box. And not only that, the one thing that, that kind of struck me, I was watching without crowd noise. And you could hear him uh, like quite vocally telling teammates what to do yeah. for a player as young and in his second game. That's that's only a good sign, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, that was one of the things that shone through when we did a, a feature on him. You know what he brings to City. It was all it was that leadership, and you know, it, a lot of the people who know him at uh, Benfica were like, "Oh yeah, well, you know, he's really vocal and he'll do this to City." It's like, well, he's 23. He's coming to a new country. Um, and obviously, like when we were putting it through the the spin of, well, you know, they've not had this since company. No one's going to be company. They could have they could have bought Sergio Ramos, and he wouldn't be company because of what he means to the club. Um, but it's like, well, he's obviously going to need time to adapt. But in the same kind of way that Eric Garcia was doing it when he was seventeen years old, like some players just have that maturity. Um, but obviously, Diaz combines that maturity with, you know, he's he's a lot more louder and shoutier than Garcia is, for example. Uh, you know, Garcia's more of an organiser and, I don't know, Diaz is a bit more of a bollocker. You know, still organising, <laughs> yeah. but he still he bollocks them as well. And, yeah, I mean, you, you just... I think teams need that. Teams need a bit of that. That back line needs a bit of that. Again, I made the point in my article. Um, if you run through all the City centre-back options last season, Fernandinho, um, Garcia, Stones and Otamendi, um, and even Rodri, actually, you could say they'd all be all right, or they'd all be better there if Laporte was there as well. But with, you know, everyone talks about the money cities have spent on centre-backs. But regardless, you can't have like four or five centre-backs options and just hope that they're all good when the good guys play. And you might as well yeah. play me there. Like, what they actually need is somebody to just be good. And it, no, it's really early days. But if Diaz is that, and he was that against Arsenal, then great. Because it means that they're not just relying on Laporte and all of a sudden when Laporte wasn't on the team sheet everyone's like oh god here we go again um, but if Diaz can just stand up and you know if he can take control of it then great and then you know if Laporte comes back soon or when, whenever they're both back as a, as a partnership it's, it's pretty promising and obviously Ake as well um, I was going to say let's not forget Ake in this because he was good he had a real good game yeah I think one I think like Rodri as well, Rodri did too. And in fact, I saw a stat that he they win the ball back in the Arsenal half eleven times, which is like more than anybody else has done this season for any for any team. Apparently, um, my take on that for both of them is it was one of those performances where the whole system worked and everybody was kind of it wasn't like fully energetic and full press for the whole game as as we know because of the fitness issues and that kind of stuff. But um, it was one of those where everybody kind of did their job and the forwards and the midfielders and the defenders, they all kind of helped each other. So Ake was less exposed and Rodri was less exposed. And for that reason, it was easier for them to kind of hold it together because, you know, we, we know that's been the issue with, you know, Rodri's just looked up and he's had two men breaking past him because, you know, somebody's not done their job further up the pitch, but that wasn't the case. And then the easy it was for Rodri to deal with things, the easy it was for Ake to deal with things and that kind of like reverse domino effect. So, yeah, yeah Ake was was really was really solid as well. It's just, um, it, you know, it's one of those, it, it wasn't just that 
Diaz was much better than Ake because Ake was poor. Just Diaz was just stood out in a really obvious way because uh, it was a, a, a typical commanding centre-back performance. And I suppose what stands out about that is the fact that City haven't had too many of those. Yeah, just on the leadership thing as well, it's it's a different type of leadership as well, isn't it, that, that uh, he, he has than Laporte? Because I don't think of Laporte as someone who is necessarily a, no. a, a massive talker. No. No. Um, no, he's not really. And I don't think anybody would, would disagree with that, really. It's just the kind of... It's just the fact that he's he's there and he does everything. You know, he wins headers and he's he's quick enough once he gets going to to mop up in behind. He's dealt with a lot of counter attacks in his time, just just with those ability, that ability really to to get back and make a tackle. Obviously, his his passing out from the back, left foot and right foot, is really good, and he and he switches the play, and that's why you know City just look better with him in the team because he's much more dependable. But no, he's not. Um, He's not a big voice on the pitch. I don't think he's a particularly big voice in the in the changing room either. He's just a kind of quiet, um, simple guy, really. Yeah, which sort of unassuming. Base, yeah, yeah, exactly. But City got about fifteen of them, so yeah. I think you need they do need a few more Diaz's. Yeah. Um, just while we're on the defence, uh, you were having a bit of fun with this on Twitter at halftime. Uh, Carl Walker potential penalty incident. Um, any yeah. surprise that that wasn't looked at? Well, like yeah. Surprised that it wasn't looked at, in the sense that people were saying VAR didn't even bother checking. So I thought they just had to check everything. Um, like that's just the point of it. Like why would you like? Because if you didn't, if you decided, oh well, we're not going to check that because the ref will have seen it. It's like, well, how do you know he's seen it? Or like, even if the ref's gone, oh yeah, I, I saw that and there was nothing in it. That the whole point of having VAR is sometimes the ref doesn't see what he thinks he's seen. So oh, yeah, very surprised if they didn't check it. I mean, they must have. Um, but I didn't think it was a penalty. I thought it would have been harsh. Like it's one of those where yeah, his foot was up. Um, but we know in football, you know, you can say, "Oh, well, anywhere else on the pitch, it would have been a free kick." And yeah, but we know in football that that's not the case. I don't want to be Mister Kind of Anorak here, but uh, anywhere else on the on the on the pitch, and I think that's an indirect free kick. So I'm not having penalty for that. Uh, <laughs> high, foot, high foot dangerous play is uh, it, it's unless you make contact with the head, it's not a it's not a direct incident. So. I'm not. I'm not having a penalty. I'm, I'm just, just trying to think because there was one in the Merseyside derby. Was it Gomez and Mane? And he didn't actually make contact. But Mane went down anyway, and I'm yeah. sure they gave a direct free kick. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, um, but uh, it's one of those. It's one of my biggest gripes about things like Football Manager, where they say, "Oh, it's he obstructed him in the box penalty." It's like obstruction is not a direct free kick offence. But I don't want to be. I don't want to be that guy. But you know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Well, that actually ties into the fact that when Bernardo was trying to chase down Leno yesterday and Gabriel stepped across him, that wouldn't have been a penalty either. Well, yeah, probably I mean, well, I'd, yeah, it should have been a free kick probably, but I, I just, yeah, I'm I, the day we see an indirect free kick in the box that is not for a goalkeeper picking up a pass back is, is you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't think we'll ever see it again, you know. No, no, no. And, but no, I didn't think, it, I didn't think it was a penalty. Like, there's so many incidents I just look at and I just can't, sometimes I just can't make my mind up. Like, I'm not really sure. But like, I didn't really think that was a pen um no not 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 above my personal threshold personally right so let's talk uh, aguero because um a little bit of a surprise to see him starting uh i thought it's i thought he'd play um partly because they've not had anybody to like be that proper number 9 and it's not worked brilliantly without one um and also the fact that he's been like kind of raring to go for a few weeks but they've wanted to get him back up to like match fitness, um, so I'll, yeah, I, I thought it. I thought it'd start when people asked on the Q and A and on Twitter. My guess was that he would. Um, I didn't think he'd play uh, the full ninety minutes, 
but it just felt like one of those games where if I'd have been another team, a, a team that Guardiola didn't respect as highly as he does in Arteta team, he might not have tried it. But yeah, um, I, yeah, I wasn't surprised because he's been he's been raring to go, and also he, he was posting. He posted like a social video, uh, social media video saying that like, I'm back, which was a nice big clue as well. So, <laughs> and again, so was Sterling doing like the Premier League interview before the game. I was like, well, he's going to start as well then. Yeah, let's. I mean, in terms of Aguero and and his movement and that sort of thing, because this, I mean, we've been talking in the past about this being uh, an injury that is a meniscus injury is difficult to come back from. Um, the signs looked pretty good that he was able to move and link up play just like the old Aguero could. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I, 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 I think the thing with the, with the meniscus knee injury isn't so much that it kind of affects your on-pitch performance once you've recovered, but you might just get a, a setback um, later on. I mean, maybe um, it wasn't dealt with or it's not as severe as Mendy's was, or maybe maybe it was, and we'll, we'll see that if he has a little bit of inflammation or swelling in a couple of weeks or something, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, in terms of the, the sharpness and the understanding of the role, I suppose, yeah, um, Aguero's Aguero, really. He's he's never going to lose that that kind of goal scorer's instinct. But obviously, since you know the, everything he added on to that since Guardiola came, he won't have forgotten either. Um, so yeah, it, it was good, and it, yeah, it, I suppose the worry might be that there would be some kind of ill effects from the knee injury, but that doesn't seem to have been the case. He seems happy enough going off. Um, and yeah, nice, was, nice uh, touch when he just, went off as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it was it was a solid enough performance. Um, yeah, definitely. But like in the same way that the other forwards weren't quite sharp enough, you could you could you could maybe see that with him, but um completely understandable. Yeah, quick word on the incident with uh, Sean Marcialis and, yeah. uh, and Aguero because I mean like if, reading some of the reports today, you know, if you'd not seen the incident, you'd have been you'd, you you could have seen Darth Vader picking up that rebel troop at the start of Star Wars, but uh, like <laughs> like yeah. It, it, it feels like uh, something that he probably shouldn't have done. He probably should apologise for, but that's it, really. Yeah, I mean, of my, you know, it was a, it was a bit uncomfortable. Like when I first saw it, I was a bit like, "Don't, like, don't touch her, mate. Like, just don't, don't touch women that don't want to be touched." Um, and you know, you, you go down all kinds of different wormholes of, oh, you know, well, what's different to him touching? Um, a male, assistant, a male yeah. assistant or a male referee or whatever it's just like that there's, di- there's, dis- there's there's just different contexts and women don't want to be touched by men while they're doing their job and I'm, it's not like yeah just like any just blanket touching just you know it wasn't sexual harassment was it but it was just that kind just even that kind of for me it just felt a bit like that everyday sexism where like i'm sure aguero personally was probably just feeling oh well, you know it's 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 nothing or it, it it's just the idea where you just wouldn't want to be in that position. You just wouldn't yeah. you just get your hands off me kind of thing. Um yeah, like you say, uncomfortable. Shouldn't have done it. But probably I, I probably should have I, been booked for it and that's about it really. Uh well I dunno because the well, the thing is, I think I, I've I've read today that you know, there is no there is no rule about touching officials unless it's like aggressive so in terms of in the rules i don't think he should have been booked for it i i just think it's the wider context of men touching women in in a way that they don't want to be touched and like if, if it's just like a little 
because again, like you say, it wasn't like a big Darth Darth Vader death grip, but it was just a kind of a touch on the shoulder. They're just like, what are you doing? Get off me! Like it was that kind of thing. So yeah, I don't think it's like a a footballing issue in terms of one that they could book him for. I don't think that's in the rules. Yeah, um, and there's no rule for if there's a woman running the line, don't touch her. It's just it's just a social thing. But again, why you've got this conflict is because you know if you look at Twitter, there'll be a lot of there'll be a lot of people who are saying it's not an issue, it'll be men and women, but um, you've got a lot of people who who, uh, who actually um, think it's much worse than I do. You know, I think it was uncomfortable and he shouldn't have done it, but there's a lot of people who who would say it's much worse. You know, there's a there's a tweet saying it's, like, gross and completely unacceptable. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't personally go that far. It's not something I'd do, and like I say, he shouldn't have done it. But, um, yeah, like, like you said, basically... Um, if he were to apologise, I think that would be that would be about right. I mean, to be honest, I feel like now I'm I'm waffling on too much. We're we're also making it a huge thing because, like I said, I don't think it was a huge, huge like ban him for one game issue. Um, I've, it's probably a helpful conversation though. Yeah. Um, and like anything in football, if you have it in good faith, because if you've just got two sides and one says this is the worst thing that's ever happened, <laughs> he should he should be banned. Saying, I'm I'm a yeah, I'm an Arsenal yeah, fan. I'm a United yeah. fan. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, but not even that. I mean, there's just from the kind of you know the from from women who feel that's wholly unacceptable. You know, that's also yeah, yeah. That that's that's at least more honest than yeah, a, a fan of a rival club saying saying banning. But at the same time, if you've got um, a load of people saying, oh, there's nothing, you know, get on with it. It's 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 not. It doesn't always feel like a useful conversation at the time. It feels kind of futile. But I think it helps. It helps kind of move the conversation forward, and it helps, you know, maybe people realise, you know, maybe some of the people are saying there's nothing in it, maybe, maybe put their arm around women in the same way and think they're being friendly, and the women actually think, I don't like this. What are you doing? And it, you know, it it will help some people realise, um, you just got to be a bit more careful these days. And yeah, that's how these things always seem to go. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, let's let's touch on uh, a couple of the other injuries as well, because um, I mean, it's it's a week after we had the discussion uh, about uh, Omar Barada's comments uh, about Benjamin Mendy. Lo and behold, not fit and available. Funny that, yeah. Um, but I mean, I mean we, what else needs to be said? We said at the time, didn't we? Um, is, is there any news on how bad it is? Uh, three to four weeks, I think. What I would have said um, for Mendy. Um, I think it's a groin. Um, so yeah, I mean, not entirely related to. Well, at least it's a new one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, three to four weeks. But at the same time, uh, especially how you know, I don't think City are going to play that formation every week. So it doesn't really matter that that Ake played in that particular way. But I think given the way that City covered quite admirably and the fact that Mendy's last game wasn't particularly good, 
uh, I don't think too many City fans will be kind of crossing their fingers and hoping for him to be back ASAP. How about Laporte? Because uh, you said before about getting nervous when Laporte wasn't in the 18, um, and you can understand why. Guardiola said it was a small problem. Any any idea kind of whether it'll whether that's oh he'll be fit for Porto or whether it's kind of a, a couple of weeks sort of thing? I th- no, I think that's what I've heard is two to three weeks, and that's growing as well apparently. Um, so I mean, two to three weeks. I mean, isn't Liverpool quite soon? Yeah, I mean. Um, it's, I mean, two to three weeks in this current climate could be like four or five games, games, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and Liverpool soon as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, and you never know with, with City and their injuries. Um, you know, Guardiola said to, um, Aguero would be out one or two months, didn't he? And that was the 18th of September he said that, and he played at the weekend. So um, it's like, it's always funny when, you know, when he said De Bruyne wouldn't play, loads of people were like, ah, oh, stupid mind games, of course you will. It's like, you've not been paying attention at all. If he says somebody's out, like 99 times out of 100, they're going to be out. But when he says, oh, yeah, everyone's all right, no problems, you can almost guarantee There's somebody that not at available least yet. one player is <laughs> not going to be playing. Um, and, yeah, so like whenever he says that in future now, I just wouldn't read anything into it whatsoever because, I mean, unless Laporte and Mendy both got injured on Saturday, and I don't know. Um, he must, you know, he must have known that they were going to be out. So, yeah, that's a funny one. Um, J- Jesus may be a worry though because uh, yeah, a I, weird the, one. Uh, the news on this one, he he wasn't very specific, was he? No, and also um, my little roundup there of two to three weeks. Um, they weren't sure on what um, on what's going on with Jesus. So yeah, Guardiola's kind of vague, but he said they have to be careful because it's one of those where. He said it's a delicate muscle in in the front of his leg, and if it, by the sound of it, if if he if he were to be rushed back, it could go again, and he'd be out for a long time. Um, and I mean, I'm not sure what kind of really bad muscle injury you could get that would mean you out for like a month or two. But um, I mean, it doesn't sound suspicious to me. It just sounds like a potentially tricky one. And I think it's similar with um, De Bruyne in the fact that he's not injured, De Bruyne. I don't think. So it's different to Jesus in that sense, but he's basically in the red zone. Um, and if he had have played, he could have got injured. And obviously, yeah. if he then gets injured, he's going to miss a few games. But the only thing is, like you say, with so many games now, if they're resting him, um, you know, to kind of get rid of that muscle fatigue, um, even if that's seven to ten days, he'll probably miss three matches. Yeah, but they'll and they'll also need to rest other players to stop that happening to them, I guess, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, again, that comes back to kind of the beauty of the the game if if all of city's squad players are actually going to contribute to good team performances in kind of crazy guardiola mega mega mind tactics then great like if it means that you know gundogan can slot in for for rodri or even even bernardo in a way i know very different type the way you know they cover the pitch is very different but you know if if you could have a midfield of gundogan rodri and fernandinho that would actually give a team of result rather than just looking completely short of ideas, then great because they're, you know, good expensive players and you, you expect that. So yeah, hopefully from City's point of view, if if they, they could do that against Arsenal, the hope is that they could get, you know, that supporting cast, you know, the likes of Bernardo and I don't know, well basically anyone who's not a star name to to actually contribute to to a, a good performance then it should bode well but um the only the only the only kind of thing there is like i say 
earlier on. They're not going to play against Arsenal very often and they're not going to do that very often and they're going to have to find those solutions. Those kind of players are going to have to find solutions against teams who just sit back into other spaces and you know that's very hard to play against that we know from the last 12 months that City have struggled with that. The one thing that, that the injuries did do for the Arsenal game uh, is it almost was like the stepping stone to return to a 2018-19 Bernardo Silva. I thought I, I thought his performance was, was very much a, a Bernardo Silva on good form again. Yeah, uh, it was it was like that. Um, I, you know, Guardiola kind of said, generally speaking, after the game, you know, it's the win is obviously good for their confidence, and you know, winning helps you win more games. I, I, I guess with Bernardo, the combination of tiredness and kind of lack of confidence last season is he probably needed a performance like that. Um, and also the the other thing is, apart from apart from how last season went. Um, and whether you know he can do what he did against Arsenal more often is in that 2018-19 season. Obviously, he was all he was often very good on the right hand side, but a lot of his good performances came in that De Bruyne role. And we know because I've banged on about it ever since I found out that you know the difference between De Bruyne's role and the David Silva role. And you know Guardiola doesn't see Bernardo as a similar player to David Silva, and that's why he very rarely played as number eight because De Bruyne was. You know, mostly fit last season, but now with De Bruyne out, um, it provides an opportunity for Bernardo to, you know, to to keep doing what he did on Saturday in the next couple of games. If if De Bruyne is going to be rested again or kept back again, um, and then yeah, if they're both fit, they're going to have to kind of work something out. But what Guardiola did do on Saturday, and what the squad did do, was work something out anyway. To you know, a midfield without Fernandinho, without David Silva, without De Bruyne. Which, you know, if that had have happened last season, you'd have been thinking, well, they're not going to win this. Um, they found a way to do it. So yeah, hopefully Bernardo with his versatility and Guardiola, if he's coming up with new ideas and new balances to the midfield and new ways of doing things, and hopefully there is a way to to fit both of them in after all. Um, even, you know, it prob- it's probably going to mean a double pivot and Bernardo and De Bruyne, as I've mentioned before. Um but yeah, if there's if there's a space for for Bernardo and he plays like he did a couple of years ago or eighteen months ago, then you know that's obviously another huge boost. Yeah, perfect. Crack on. I'm um, gonna. I want to finish the very final part of uh, today's show, uh, and and this is a a bit of a gear change, but you know we'll go with it. Um, Pablo Zabaleta's retired uh, this week. Um, you you didn't really get to see Peak Zabaleta in your time covering City, did you? No, um, no. My first season was Pellegrini's last. Um, and he was and waning. He's definitely waning by that. Yeah, yeah, and like, and then obviously his last season was Guardiola's first season, and that was a struggle. You know, obviously it was a struggle for everyone, but kind of particularly for him. Um, so yeah, um, but I mean, I, I, I don't think there's anything I can add that City fans don't know already in terms of his performance. Um, I did write quite a nice article about him when he left City, so they could, people could go and Google that, I suppose. Um, but did, you get to, was, did you get to speak to him much? Yeah, but that's what I was going to say. Like from the media perspective, maybe people don't care about media in general, and they, well, and rightly so. But um, to be fair, I think fans would be happy to know that he is a nice bloke. <laughs> um, and yeah, he, he would he would always be one of those few players that would he'd be happy to do an interview, and he'd always talk quite well and quite openly, and you know, say you know he wasn't explosive, he wasn't a dynamite, but what he would say would be interesting, and it wasn't dull. Uh, and yeah, he was always he was always just nice, friendly, and um, just seemed like a great guy. And obviously, he was really he was obviously really popular with his with his teammates. If ever you'd see them interact, just in mix zones or wherever else it might be. Um, 
so yeah, the only other thing I'll add because everybody knows how how good he was and everybody loves him already is the fact that you know I never saw anything really behind the scenes to make me think you know because there's there's a few players <laughs> this is a bit of a rabbit hole there's a few players City fans, <laughs> City fans love that you'd be like well you know if you've heard what I've heard kind of thing which I'm not going to go into you can you can leave it at that but no, um, no, Zabaleta yeah but Zabaleta wasn't wasn't one of those. Yeah. Uh, do you see a potential role for him at City now that he's retired? Uh, yeah, well, City are good at that. Um, I, I feel like it's a bit of a shame, actually, because I read an interview with Zabaleta recently, um, and he was saying he'd already, he's all, always planned to go and play a couple of years in Italy at the end of his career, but he was kind of like, well, what's the point now? Because, you know, he'd always planned on going and playing in the great stadiums, but with no fans, he, he was thinking, like, well, there, there might not be any point. And obviously, ultimately, that that is what he's decided. I mean, that no, makes me feel really any, sad now. Yeah, I mean, he might not have had any offers anyway, but he, he um, but yeah, he's obviously just went, well, yeah, that's there's no point in doing that and let, let's retire. And I mean, if he's going to stay in the UK, I, I, to be honest, I think, I think he had to kind of convince his, his wife to say, look, I'm going to stay in England. We'll have a couple of years in London and then we'll go back to Europe. So I'm not sure what that family situation is. Maybe they think now, you know, maybe they'll go and live in Italy or maybe they'll move back to, you know, Barcelona having been Espanol or whatever. But um, if he's sticking around in England, you'd you'd like to think there'd definitely be something for him at City. But the only thing is, it's it's just quite difficult. Um, you know, Guardiola's coaching staff is pretty hard to get onto. You can't just add people onto that. Um, you know, maybe jobs in the academy... But um, since Vieira, that's not happened. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know, like maybe a, a club ambassador of sorts, but I, I wonder how many club ambassador roles are actually going on at the moment because people aren't generally going out and meeting people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know what it would be, but City are good at keeping people involved. Um, I don't know, maybe they'd, maybe they'd kind of have a word with him and see if he'd um, go and speak in the media I know Micah Richards has kind of got that nailed down at the moment and to be honest you'd have to be a very good pundit um, certainly very charismatic to get on in, instead of him but I know City are always keen to have more, more voices more City voices on you know Sky and wherever so I mean maybe they'd kind of use him indirectly in that kind of role but yeah I'm, I'm, I'm sure they'll find a way to, to keep him in touch and I suppose the other thing is they've got enough clubs around where you know they could do it he could do something in the CFG in some capacity, but I suppose it depends on where he wants to live and how he wants to live his life at the moment. Yeah, and he's uh, ever since he moved to uh, to Europe, he's uh, he's only ever played for teams that uh, that play in converted athletic stadiums. Bet you didn't know that. Espanyol oh. City, West Ham. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, maybe there's. In fact, you've actually you've actually stopped me with that. I've, uh, <laughs> that's just such such like a, a mundane but quite funny stat. <laughs> Um, I've got absolutely nothing to. I thought you were just going to say blue and white, but obviously I forgot about West Ham. So converted athletic stadiums. Yeah, I mean, have you had you read that somewhere else, or did you just? I've got to, no. I've got, I've got to give credit to Duncan Alexander from Opta for that one. Oh God, yeah. To be yeah, that makes complete sense. <laughs> uh, I think I, given your reaction to that, I'm going to end the show there uh, because it's only it's only downhill from there, really, isn't it? So uh, so that's it for this week's Why Always Us. Uh, you've been listening to Sam Lee. Yeah, thanks very much. And to me, David Mooney. Don't forget, you can sign up to The Athletic for just £1 right now by using the code MANCITYPOD. Mm-hmm.